Welcome everyone. My name is Ben Henry. I'm with Away Home Washington and uh, welcome to uh, our second episode of, of our podcast and uh, talking about ending youth and young adult homelessness here in Washington State. A special celebration to commemorate Pride Month. We're uh, really deep diving into some of the, the equity issues when it comes to our work around homelessness, really talking about the LGBTQ plus community, the QT BIPOC community, uh, and some of the inherent challenges that we're facing and seeing out there. Really excited to be speaking with a lot of special guests here uh, on the team who are doing just incredibly innovative work when it comes uh, to, quite frankly, ending youth and young adult homelessness. That is the goal, and we are unabashed about our pursuit of that. Uh, so I'm really excited to introduce today Aja Ruff. And uh, Aja is the Youth Engagement Coaching Manager here at Away Home Washington. So welcome, Aja. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's a wonderful Tuesday. How are you today? It's, yeah, it's glorious and sunny out, and we're getting great natural light in the room here today. So, yes. Thank you so much for being here. Why don't you uh, introduce uh, yourself to the audience here? Tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do. Of course. Well, as you've mentioned, my name is Aja Ruff. Um, I like to go by she and they pronouns, and I'm the Youth Engagement Coaching Manager at Away Home Washington. So my role is to provide targeted coaching and technical assistance around youth and community engagement to the nine anchor communities that are working to end youth and young adult homelessness in Washington State. Um, at Away Home Washington, we believe that it's impossible to end youth homelessness without the leadership and direction of young people that are impacted by these systems. So I work with communities to set and achieve their engagement goals and really serve as like a thought partner and a strategy partner to help them troubleshoot issues and spread knowledge across the state about what it looks like to meaningfully partner with young people in systems change work. Oh, wow. That sounds intense and it sounds really important what you're doing. Can you kind of explain like what is an anchor community? An anchor community is a community right now we're set up in Washington state and there's nine of them. And all of these communities has taken on this challenge to prove that it's possible to functionally end youth and young adult homelessness. No big deal. <laughs> Just something light, you know? Right. Right. Uh, okay. Well, so wonderful introduction about who you are and what it is you do. Uh, and so, so I'd like to dive into the, the topic of, of the day here. Uh, so what are your thoughts around um, young folks here in Washington who are, who are LGBTQ plus uh, and their ability to sort of like access the services that are out there, but to do it in like uh, a equitable way? Like, do they have the same access to these services than than their peers? What are your what are your thoughts around that? I'm going to give a bit of a long answer that turns out to be pretty simple um, at the end of the day. Um, but basically, I think what I want to start off to say is that as one person in one place, it's really tough for my feelings, my own feelings to really encapsulate everything that's going on in this big sector, in this big state of Washington state. But that's why we have data here to tell us the stories about who is experiencing homelessness and how their communities' homelessness response systems are really serving them. 
And so we know from Chapin Hall's missed opportunity studies that LGBTQ plus young people are 120% more likely to experience homelessness than their cisgendered and heterosexual peers. And we can also see from our local data in anchor communities that LGBTQ plus young people are overrepresented in their community's homelessness response systems, which means that the way that I talk about it is that um, young people are more likely in a community to show up in their homelessness system than they are to actually show up in their community at all. And that's a real problem. But we see this in our anchor communities data. There's something about society that's pushing young people out of their homes of quote unquote origin and forcing them to find something else that meets their safety needs, that meets their personal needs, and that meets their human needs. Um, and something else that we're seeing in our community's data is that it takes a longer time for LGBTQ plus young people to actually find the housing solutions that they need. Um, but so we have all this data that paints quite a picture about how the system is responding to the needs of LGBTQ plus young people. But really, I just want to say that the best storytellers about this issue are the young people who are impacted by homelessness themselves. And that's a big reason why we have our anchor community model set up the way it is, and a big reason why we have my role in place um, to really coach communities to build strong communication loops with the communities that are impacted by their systems. Ultimately, the people relying on public homelessness response are going to have the best insight as to how well the system is able to meet their needs. So that's something that I think is really a, a key point is just the inclusive nature of uh, the way that Away Home Washington does its work. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how uh, youth who are LGBTQ plus with that lived experience are included in our work. Yeah, totally. And I can talk about it in the way that folks of the LGBTQ plus community are really built into our measures of functional zero. And I can also talk about the sort of day-to-day -day implementation about the Anchor Community Initiative and how they show up in the work. So thinking about our definition of functional zero, um, it's really the goal of Away Home Washington's work and that of the Anchor Community Initiative to increase overall community ownership over the issue of youth and young adult homelessness. And so without the voices of the communities that the homelessness response systems serve, programs are being created and implemented, and I'm doing air quotes here, in the dark without the, experience, without the experiential knowledge of those who have been and are subject to the policies and practices of these systems. And so when we work with communities to functionally end youth homelessness, and I'm putting this in air quotes again, functionally end youth homelessness, um, our goalpost is for them to reach this thing called functional zero, which um, in shorthand really means on the ground that homelessness as a phenomenon is rare, so it happens to very few people. It's brief so that it's a short lived experience and that it's one time so that once a person comes into the system and gets supported by the system, finds a housing solution that they need, that that housing solution works for them and they're not going to have to come back into the system and go through that process all over again. But beyond this rare, brief and one time definition of ending youth homelessness, we've also included disproportionality measures um, for LGBTQ young people and for young people of color, meaning that the future state that we're all working towards in our work right here 
is one where communities are able to stably house all of their young people, regardless of their background, of their identity, so that this phenomenon of queer young people experiencing homelessness more often um, and longer than their peers does not exist anymore. So that's a little bit about our, um, our model and the sort of end state that we're reaching. Um, and a little bit about how young folks are involved in the work is that we coach communities to really involve um, the entire community um, outside of service providers, um, including adjacent systems such as child welfare, such as juvenile justice, such as behavioral health. Um, we also include those with lived experience who have also been impacted by the system. And so we work to make sure that on these sort of core improvement teams, the really the, the real drivers of the work um, included in this group of people are folks with lived experience and that there's a sort of external body of folks with lived experience. We tend to uh, refer to them as youth action boards. These are boards and groups of young people up to age 24 who live in different anchor communities that are either currently experiencing homelessness or that have experienced homelessness in their communities. And there's at least two groups of folks with lived experience in them. One that like features folks with lived experience and one that is exclusively made up of folks, folks with lived experience that are really having conversations about what's happening in the community, what needs to change and what can we do about it. And so part of the thing that we're working with communities to really drive towards is having diverse representation all over the work that they're doing to end youth homelessness, whether it be in their core teams, whether it be in their youth action boards, so that the folks that are at the table and the people that have the mic are really representing the experiences of those that are impacted and driving towards the system being what it is, including those with lived experience. And so there's a lot of coaching that goes into doing this kind of outreach for communities to make sure that we have a representative group of people at the table to be able to have these system level conversations about what changes need to be made in order to drive towards the future that we want. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, you've, you've covered a ton of stuff there. So I just want to sort of highlight some things. Uh, you mentioned functional zero uh, and offered a definition there. Uh, and that's basically uh, the goal of Away Home Washington in each of these anchor communities uh, is to achieve functional zero, which, which is basically this idea of like, there's anyone who might be experiencing homelessness, there's, there's a solution for them or there's a, there's a place for them. Is that, is that accurate? Yes, totally. And there's a few ways that we talk about it. Um, I tend to talk about it in sort of two tracks. One is this functional zero, which I equate to that rare, brief, and one-time sort of situation that I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. And another sort of like simpler way that we at Away Home Washington would talk about it is this idea of a yes-to-yes -yes community um, or a yes-to-yes -yes state where... Um, yeah, what is that? Yeah, yeah, the idea of yes-to-yes -yes is basically... Um, I'll explain it in two ways. It's basically like a community that's able to really be able to meet young people where they're at and to meet the needs that they have. And so the idea of yes to yes is that like a young person who's in need of like housing support can like go to their community and say that like, yes, like I need some support with this. Will you help me out? And the community has the resources and has the capacity to really truly and meaningfully say, 
I hear you. Yes, we can help you out. Let's go see what we can do. Um, and so I think that the idea of yes to yes and um, functional zero pair really well, because um, I think that like, I think a system that is saying yes to yes is able at a high level to, um, to make sure that they're preventing homelessness when it happens, um, that they're swiftly resolving it when it happens, and that they're like meaningfully and when possible, like finally resolving when it happens. So thinking about that rare brief in one time. And so, yeah, basically yes to yes is the idea of a community saying yes to a young person that says yes to its community. Oh, I love that. I love how that's crafted there. And I mean, it takes a lot for someone who might be experiencing this, who might be uh, facing some challenges in life to be able to say, to say, yes, I need help. Like that's not an easy thing for someone to do. And when they do that, it, it's really, it's on the community to, to be able to meet them where they're at. So I think the yes on both sides of that makes a lot of sense. It does. And it's, it's a lot of work on both sides, like you said. Yeah, I think it's hard for, I think regardless of your background, it's really hard to ask for help just because of the society that we've built. Mm -hmm. We love this idea of pulling ourselves up by the bootstrap mm -hmm. and like everybody teaching themselves how to fish. But like who taught the first man how to fish mm -hmm. and who taught the second person how to fish? right? Like that's a collaborative effort. And even when somebody's hungry, right? Like, are you going to really take the time to be like, oh no, you need to learn how to fish. Like, no, I'm hungry. I need to eat. Can I get some food in my belly? And then we can talk about these skills. But like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to concentrate if all I can think about is the meal that I haven't had yet. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's profound. Yeah, there's this, there's this feeling in this, I don't in, it's an American thing, maybe, of rugged individualism and and er, every person for themselves. And I I think we're strongest when we're in community together, when everyone's got each other's backs. I think that's so real. And I've thought about this a lot, and I've been trying so hard. Just I'm the kind of person that likes to think for fun. So sometimes I'll just be on the couch and I'm stroking nice. my imaginary beard and I'm. Just, <laughs> Sometimes I try to find these examples and I'm like, what is a what is a truly individual act of life? What is a mm -hmm. what is something in life that we do that requires absolutely no support, absolutely no interference, absolutely no influence of somebody else? I mean, thinking right. about what it takes to even be put into life, right? Like you yeah. need at least two other people in order to exist in the first place and we've built a, a society built on cooperation to where the way that we survive is really cooperating together mm -hmm. um, and i think that something has happened in our our busyness to create these systems that work for hundreds of millions of people mm -hmm. um that there have just some there's been some needs that have been left out of consideration for a long time we need each other and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, there's a, there's an astrologist that I really appreciate. Um, mm. their name is the people's Oracle. And they, they, they said this, this phrase that has stuck with me for the last few years, which is that survival has always been a shared burden. Hmm. Wow. 
We should put that up on the wall here at uh, HQ. <laughs> Indeed. We should put it next to the proverb that we have. Yeah. yeah. That's, nice. that's beautiful. Okay. Um, shifting gears a little, you also talked about uh, the disproportionality that exists uh, amongst the LGBTQ plus community, uh, amongst QT BIPOC community folks, uh, and how they are experiencing homelessness at higher rates than than everyone else. You said it was like 120%? Yeah, they're, they're 120% more likely to enter the experience of homelessness than their cisgendered and heterosexual peers. And so that creates this imperative that uh, we bring an equity lens to the work that we're doing. Uh, we want to end all homelessness, but meanwhile, we're seeing uh, certain populations being disproportionately affected and what's going on with that we need to we need to address it and that's what we just spoke with Liz uh, on data and uh, when you really disaggregate the data you can see alarming trends and it and so an organization like away home Washington it behooves us to to bring that lens to this work yeah, that's real. And I'm going to be real with you. I barely know what the word behoove means. <laughs> behoove. I'm just going to keep it real with wow. you. Wow. You just like, you just called me out. My bad. <laughs> is, yeah. it like, is it like bewildered? <laughs> I'm bewildered now. <laughs> behoove is like, it's, it's incumbent upon. <laughs> Sorry, just use another word. Uh, I think I know what incumbent <laughs> means. Do uh, but who is like, oh, we should do this. Like, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. It behooves me to move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So can you explain what lived experience means? Yeah. Well, um, it tends to mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I can talk a little bit about um, what it means to me um, as somebody with quote unquote lived experience. So what I mean mm. when I say that I have lived experience is I'm always talking about it within the context of the work that I'm paid to do or the system that I'm a part of. Mm. And so I work in systems change work around youth and young adult homelessness and when I say that I have lived experience, it means that I have lived experience as both a youth and a young adult who has experienced homelessness um, in Washington state, which is the, the sort of like place that I'm working at. And so we all have lived experience of different things, but I think when it comes to systems change, um, the, the sort of qualifier or the, the relevance really lies in like how close the thing that you went through goes over the thing that you have dominion towards or the thing that you're you're influencing. And so I also have lived experience with the the behavioral health system, but because my my work is largely around youth and young adult homelessness and not behavioral health, um, the lived experience that that I largely call upon is that of my homelessness experience and not of my not of my behavioral health. That's not to say that I don't have lived experience of behavioral health, but it's to say that in the work that I do, I don't consider um, 
my behavioral health um, experience as like a sort of considering or an informative factor um, in the sort of like new system that I'm trying to create around youth and young adult homelessness. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of think about, sorry, um, so so just to go back, and, and again, this is largely my own perspective, but I tend to think about lived experience as having experience as like the the target population or the client population or the user population. I'm doing all of those words in air quotes over here mm -hmm. of being the sort of like user population of a given system that I'm talking about or that I'm working in. That makes sense. Yeah. So we're doing work around homelessness. And so that in this context, that lived experience would be uh, for us would be someone who has lived that experience that of homelessness. And yes. um, thank you so much for sharing too your own kind of story as well. Of course, thank you. Uh, so this, it might be kind of an obvious question, but I, I want to ask it anyways. Uh, why is it important that we include the voices of those with lived experience as we do this work? This is going to be a bit of a, a, a personal answer as well. You know, our systems, our society, even though they are systems, they are societies at the end of the day, they're made up of individual people and they're sort of informed by the, the culmination of all of these individual people's thoughts and perspectives melding together with the tools that we've built. But the way that I think about the importance of including lived experience is just, I think a lot about like American values and I think about how in America, like we're all supposed to have the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Um, but that sort of pursuit gets really complicated when the only way that you can meet your personal needs and your human needs is outside of like an organic network of support and you have to go to a publicly funded system in order to meet your needs. Because that means that like you have to even more so sort of bend yourself um, and I'm doing a weird sort of bendy dance. <laughs> always what I do whenever I describe this. Like you kind of have to like bend yourselves and bend your back in order to to be proven as like a person that can be served by this system. Um, it's not enough to simply be who you are for some reason when it comes to public resources, probably because there's a finite amount of them. We have to be very careful about who gets what and the best person to get the thing is the one who fits the mold the best. But sometimes the mold isn't really built to how people are shaped. It's built to like what we want a resource to do. Um, and with that being said, right, like your experience of youth homelessness, it doesn't really, this is a long-winded answer, but I promise I'm going somewhere mm -hmm. with this, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> your experience of youth homelessness, it doesn't really, like, it impacts, like, the way that you find housing, but it also impacts so much more, right? It impact like, it impacts, I cannot speak, it impacts. <laughs> Uh, that's a fun fact about myself. I'm youth engagement coaching manager and I struggle with my words all the time. You got but we're it. Still doing the work. Nobody's perfect. We're all here. We're all human. We're doing the thing. So it impacts the way that you find housing, but it also impacts where that housing is. If it's close to your family, um, if it's far away from your family, if it's far away from your friends, are you able to go to school where you find housing? What job opportunities are there? Are these things, things that actually give you life? And so this sort of home base of like where your housing is 
can really change the trajectory of your life forever. And if you have to sort of walk hand in hand with the system in order to meet that needs rather than like purely by yourself, it takes away a little bit of the agency that you're able to really exert in that process. And so I'm a really strong proponent of like building systems that are informed at every step by the people who need them so that they can better serve those who it was, uh, so they can better serve those who that these systems were intended to help. Because when things are designed and implemented, considering the true needs and realities of the people that they serve, the better chance that they have to like actually serve that need. Love it, love it. Okay, so um, it being Pride Month, sort of along that same vein of why we want to make sure that those with lived experience and their voices are being heard uh, and actually have that agency that you talk about. Um, what about specifically for um, LGBTQ plus QD BIPOC folks and who have that lived experience? Why is it important to include those voices in the work that we're doing? I think it's this. I think it. I think the same reasons apply. I think it's to like have user voice really inform the structure of a system, so the system can really meet the needs of those who are using it. But we know that those who are of the LGBTQ plus community and those who are people of color, they tend to need the system more often than their peers who do not share that same identity. Um, and so I think that there, if you think about just like how many people use the system, there, these communities and their need of the system holds more weight because there's more people of these identities that really need the system. And I think that that's just more imperative to really include the, those perspectives into the way that we're designing and carrying out these systems, these systems. You know, like your identity, your creed and your background, it doesn't change the fact that you've been impacted by things. Though we know that certain backgrounds are more likely to experience homelessness because of who they were born as. And so like we know, LGBTQ plus young people as a whole are more likely to experience homelessness than their peers who aren't in this community. Um, and I think the thing that I'll just end off this question saying is that it's really not possible to end youth homelessness if we don't create systems that are informed by and serve those who use it the most, right? Like if we're serving, if we're not serving those who use it the most, then we're still gonna end up having all these people who need it because they're not being served. And this is the greatest group of people. Hmm. Love it, love it. Okay, so we're, we are coming to a close here. And uh, Asha, I just wanna really thank you uh, for, for all of your time uh, and your really unique perspectives working with Away Home Washington as, uh, as a coaching manager. Uh, and so uh, to close, if you had 30 seconds to say one thing to viewers and readers for Pride Month. What, what would that be? I would say that positive change and its potential to become a reality have always and they will always exist. It's just, you know, and maybe this is just our certain gift or certain course, certain curse as being born as human beings, but really it's our eternal task as human beings to seek out the change that we want 
and to use the tools that we've already made in order to make that change that we want viable to happen. So just to say it again, like the future that we want is out there, but we're just tasked as human beings, as capable human beings to really make it a reality. And we can, but it's only going to happen if we do. Oh my gosh, our e eternal responsibility. I love it. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Aja. And uh, thank you all to uh, the viewers and listeners who are tuning in. And uh, it behooves you to continue to, <laughs> to watch uh, for more episodes and more content. Like and subscribe. Do all those fun things. Uh, check out our website, Away Home Washington or awayhomewa.org. Uh, and we will see you again. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you.